Hi, this is Forever Collector, another episode of Collectors Anonymous. Today, we have a very special guest. His name is Gezi TCG, huge Yu-Gi-Oh! expert and PSA consultant. What an honor it is to have you on the show, brother. Thanks for having me, man. I'm, I'm stoked to be here, truly. <laughs> have you heard of the show at all? No, no, I'm sorry. Yeah, um, when you reached out to me to do a podcast, um, you know, I'm just kind of starting up, you know, my career and my brand and everything like that. So I'm right. stoked to get on um, to new podcasts and stuff like that. I didn't know you had one. I, I know, you know, I follow you. I know you right. um, somewhat. I know about the stuff that you do. I see you over at Paz Jokers and, um, you know, uh, Pierre, I think is his name. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's a super tight dude. So um, Yeah, there's a... There's a lot of good people in the community and I'm just, I'm super blessed to have a lot of friends and people that I can connect to all over the country. Cause like it, it's, it's pretty special. Uh, when we went to the Fukuda signing is where I met a lot of the LA kids actually. Um, yeah. and it was, it was pretty special, I think. Yeah. I don't know a ton about like the signatures and stuff like that for Pokemon. And I, I try and stay in my lane. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I know that Fakuda is a hard signature to get. So even like a guy like me who doesn't know anything about it, like I know that that's a tough. I know that's that's, a tough one. that's awesome, and that that's showing that you know the reckon recognize, or oh, I can't even say it. The the <laughs> ability to recognize a signature as rare, just with no little to no knowledge of autographs, is is pretty pretty inspiring to see that go on and so like i hope that that's continued because i feel like anybody who knows about anything about autographs they know christopher rush for magic the gatherings like yeah the grail yep. that's it number number one number dude, one the, exactly chris, chris dude if you if you've ever googled mtg and and yep. then put like highest highest for sale it's right up there it's the first one chris rush signed bgf 10 black yep. lotus or whatever it is yeah yeah, yes, sure. sir. That's exactly right. I've actually seen I've seen a picture from a dude who knows a dude who has a, a pristine lotus. That's insane. Yeah, That's... I've only seen the picture, and he's like, "Yeah, I know this dude who has like a pristine lotus." And I met the guy. We were having a beer with my buddy, and um, I was like, "Dude, do you know what that is?" And he's like, "Yeah, it's pretty cool." Right? I'm like, "Bro, that that's not pretty cool. That's like legendary." Yeah, that's wow. And I've, I've, uh, I come from like, you know, people who share a lot of their horror stories and like, I've seen like crazy pictures. Uh, there was like this one dude, um, he took a bunch of his old magic cards and put them around the rim of his, uh, tire so he could spray paint his rim a different color, but not actually oh. spray his tire because he didn't want to take the tire off. And somebody you noticed this thing. Oh, somebody tape? somebody noticed this like car that was like p painted black and they were like can you pull that card out for us and like contacted the dude and he like what 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 this card is this special or something it was a it was a beta lotus and i was just like wow i mean also and this was this was also tape. like four years ago five years ago when beta lotuses were only like eight to ten thousand dollars um way way it, cheaper than what it, they it, are now <laughs> Yeah, but that's still like you still, know, yeah. it's tough to bankroll for our, for the average guy. A hundred percent, and I can agree with that. But that's also what's special about that card. I think is because you can pull that card out of your closet, and you can change your life. Like that's cool. Yeah, 
That's really do, cool. Do you mind if I talk about something real quick? I would like, love to. I, I see this a lot, man, like where people grow up in the hobby, right? So a guy like me who, you know, I got a full-time job working for Army Space Command, right? right. I, work, I work for the government, you know, so I don't make like, a t- you could Google my, my pay if right. I told you my rank and everything like that. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's publicly available, right? So, you know, a guy like me, stuff like that is tough to bankroll. But right. if you grow up in a hobby, you know, when you were paying $200 for a Beta Lotus in like the 90s or whatever, or an Alpha Lotus, like you have equity in, you know, the card above what you make in, you know, your daily job. And so, you know, people who grew up in the hobby can't necessarily bankroll those cards, but they can tap into the equity that exists in the stock that they have in order to be a bigger presence in the market. And I think that that um, is, has changed a lot of the market because you see guys who like, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to, I might roast the dude real quick, but you know, like it, it, you talk about the $900,000 trade that like got posted. Right. Yep. So he's so referring to a, the you know, uh, illustrator card that traded for a bunch yeah. of Charizards, um, yep, yep. which so, valued like, about 900,000. Yeah. Yeah. So I had some issues with the way that it was like, Oh my God, look at this trade. Like, but yeah, but no cash is on the table. Yep. So is it really worth $900,000? Like, that's up for debate, but you know, like the, it, I'm not, you know, saying that that trade wasn't worth a ton of money. You know what I mean? Right. Like, you could definitely tap into the equity there, but that's the equity that I'm talking about. Neither of those people, I assume, right. Or you could argue that neither of those people really had $900,000 to put on the table. Right. Both of those people had $900,000 roughly in equity. Right. You know what I mean? And so that has added a lot of volume, I think to the collectible market, right? And so yeah. kids like me, kids, I'm 30, but, you know, people like me, you know, who don't have the opportunity to bankroll another complete PSA 10 set of Legend of Blue Eyes first edition, right? Right. Have that equity, you know what I mean? So as the market grows, I don't lose, you know, the ability to, you know, continue to maneuver to get things that i need because right. i have existing equity exactly and i think that that's important that people you know tend to forget a little bit is that you can always trade and you can always trade your equity especially when it's in trading cards you know when you have equity in like properties or vehicles it's a little bit harder to like trade that equity around and move that money yep. around but when it's collectibles it's extremely, extremely easy to, to move that around. And there's a lot of people that are interested in stuff that you have and vice versa. So I think that this this market climate being so high, it, it, it only adds another factor to the market. And I think that trading here and like uh, trading product for products is going to be like a more prominent thing maybe in 2021 as rises or prices continue to rise if they do. Right. Yeah. Because I can't go out and buy. I can't spend a hundred thousand so, dollars. Like it's nothing, you no. know, I can't, I'm, I'm so, just, I'm being honest, you know? Yeah. I mean, I'll tell you like, so I had a trade that I made and I get, you know, I got it from both sides, dude. I got it from the one side in the beginning and I'm getting it from the other now that, you know, so I had a PSA nine. Well, I'll say I picked up a BGS nine crush card virus. Okay. Jump, SJCS. okay, so that's uh, that's a Yu-Gi-Oh card for all our Pokemon listeners. Big big deal, right? It's yep. a big deal card. It's there's like 49 in the world. That's, that's crazy. It. Something like that. And I'm not counting the ones that are in like the Lucite cases. There's like five or so right. in Lucite cases, right? And so like of those 
roughly 50 that exist on the open market, like how many of them are nine quality? So, yeah. excuse me. Um, there's three tens. I, I can tell you where all three tens are. <laughs> um, and then there's a, a, a couple of nines, like two, three, something yeah. like that. A couple, you know, underneath that, some authentics, some fours, some fives. Um, and largely, um, you know, most of them are raw. People like to keep them raw. So, I mean, that's right. not a problem. So I took this card in and I paid, you know, like $6,300 for it. I'll just, you know, put it out. Jesus. So, um, I, I subbed it to PSA. I cracked it. Risky. <laughs> cracked it, subbed it to PSA, came back a nine. Perfect. That's all I wanted. I didn't need a ten. I just wanted it to be a nine because I didn't think it deserved to be a ten. Right. So, and those cards, those cards came sealed, right? Like, so you had to break them out in order to grade them? No, not all of them. No, some of them were given out at Upper Deck Day. Okay. Um, and then I think like, you know, a few of them were given out in magazines. Right. And then some of them were prizes. The prizes are in Lucite cases and you can't, I mean. You it, have to break them I, out. I would not recommend breaking them out of the Lucite case. <laughs> it's crazy. Um, so I wanted to pick up a Dark Duel Stories Blue yep. Eyes and a Starter Deck Kaiba Blue Eyes. Right. I had a guy who was interested in the crush card. I had a couple of guys interested in the crush card virus. But, you know, I'm big on classic Yu-Gi-Oh, which is everything from LOB to yep. AST. Le- and Legend of Blue Eyes. Yeah. Ancient definitely. Sanctuary. Yeah, Ancient Sanctuary. And every, yeah. every, every promo in between that period. I, I actually is, remember all those because um, when I started to become a teen is when I, like, switched from Pokemon uh, to Yu-Gi-Oh. Yeah. And that's when I actually started doing, like, tournament play for Yu-Gi-Oh and stuff. And, like... Yata Garasu was like a huge uh tech. Yata, dude. Yeah, dude. And yeah. I remember I had this misprint of it too, where all the the writing on the card was like shifted up that I pulled myself out of a pack and like my dumbass got ripped off for it because I wanted <laughs> and I can't even remember, like an injection fairy lily, which is still a really good card. Man, but you're speaking my language, dude. You know, it's not really like crossing over in terms of like yeah. rarity because a fucking a Yadagarasu right away is always going to be stupid stupid more popular than the lily but a misprint one where like all the lettering was like shifted and you couldn't even like it you couldn't even tell what was said on it it was crazy it was because the text never box that misprint. and i don't know it was I, I don't know if it was just a printing defect you know and that just yeah. happened very very small you know i don't know but it, i remember probably a um it's probably unique you know yeah I mean, yeah and i think that it could have only happened to a couple of sheets total you know and so like maybe one at the most to be honest and so maybe one yeah, yeah so i think that it was really really lucky but i don't know man there's a lot of there's a lot of like Yu-Gi-Oh cards like i i remember when i turned 18 and then i i finally went to college um and then i gave my entire collection to my little cousin and like I had so much. Yeah. Oh my god, dude! Yeah. X Y Z dragons, all the beta, alpha, gamma, like yep. all minty, yeah. minty, dude. And it was oh man. I look at it now, and then like I told my little cousin, who's now an adult, he's like twenty one, and I was yeah. like, bro, where are those Yu Gi Oh cards? And he's like, <laughs> just quiet, yeah. <laughs> and I'm know. like, bro, you yeah. know that's like. This five figures yeah. right now, we're both missing out of our pocket, right? And he's yeah. just upset about it. Upset, you know? Those cards never got a lot of respect, man. Like, you know, a lot of those promos 
So, I mean, now people are coming back to promos because they can't afford boosters, set cards, yep. and gem in or whatever. And now the promos are all g- gone yep. and have doubled, tripled, or quadrupled or more um, because they're just not available. Do you think um, that big PSA 10 sale on that Blue Eyes White Dragon kind of like really sparked the frenzy? Man, I got a lot of thoughts about that about that sale, dude. Well, uh, we're here. So, let's like, let's hear them. So, so we're talking about the eBay sale where yep. PWCC auctioned, and I know the seller. Um, um, it, this Blue Eyes, right? I know a little bit about the provenance of every Blue Eyes. Almost everyone. I'm missing like ten certs. I've seen every Blue Eyes except like ten. That's of them. crazy. Um. So, you know, this Blue Eyes sells for eighty five thousand dollars, right? So. It was shilled. the 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 auction was was shilled. You know, the the buyer paid, and he bid eighty five thousand dollars. And you know, even though it was shilled, he paid because he bid it. Um, so you know, blame blame the shiller, blame the the buyer. You know, he bid, he paid. It sold. You know, it's hard to argue with that. And and yeah. I don't. You know, I don't. I don't like the the shilling, and I, I don't appreciate the ethics behind it. Right. Um, because I think it creates artificial inflation, which is 100%. bad. It creates. I think everybody's in, agree- in agreements on that. Like, yeah. So you see, cards rubber band, right? And so now the rubber band is like, you know, or was loose at the time because this thing had sold for like, you know, multiples of, you know, multiples higher than than it, it had previously sold. The highest before that was like twenty five thousand dollars, which was a private sale, um, right? Brokered, you know, by a guy that I know. And then this one sells for eighty five thousand dollars. That's like almost that's more than three times the right. value. That's a big. What's big the difference. pop of so the blue it's eyes? People, it's it's eighty seven. Yeah, see, that's like a little bit too much of a pop to be jumping like that because yeah. there's a lot of people so, that would instantly bring their card out onto the market and just cash out, right? There, there are five that are mislabeled, and there's one that was cracked. So okay. the pop is like actually eighty one. Right. Um, okay. And I don't know how many of the ten that I haven't seen are either mislabeled or don't exist at all. Right. Okay. If they were cracked. I mean, the reason I count tens and not nines and stuff is because tens don't get cracked usually. Right. Right. So one of them did, I'm tracking it, but so the pop is 81, but still dude, like, you know, jumping to $85,000 put a lot of people, you know, made a lot of people really nervous about the card. Um, I can't really talk about anything else, but I, I think that, you know, the card, um, Okay, in a week we're gonna or so we're gonna we're you'll find out about something else. But you know, there's there's something. Um, let me let me think about how to put this. <laughs> uh, I I don't think that the sale is not legit, right? I think the sale is a legitimate sale, right? The guy bought it. Um, is it worth eighty five thousand dollars? People are still trying to figure this out right now. Um, I know that there are a couple of negotiations going on about you know with with some private sales about you know whether or not these cards are going to sell for the same amount um, but people are hesitant to sell for less because they're looking at pokemon and magic yep. and saying if i sell my blue eyes at eighty five thousand dollars now you know i'm going to miss out on the 20 grand that the next one sells for and so i don't want and so what that does is it it stretches the rubber band again right so the rubber band is you know People see it sell for eighty five thousand dollars. People are not sure about that, and now the rubber band starts to stretch again, right? right. Until the next sale happens, right? So, is the next sale going to be eighty five thousand dollars, or is it going to be over a hundred thousand dollars? You know, so um, 
it, it just depends. I mean, there are different varieties of blue eyes as well. You know, there's wavy and there's Yeah, yeah. And there's a lot of different sets that include the exact same art too. So a buyer could yes. be buying a card that they wouldn't even know. That's why, like, when I got back into a lot of this stuff and I was, like, trying to get back into Yu-Gi-Oh! Oh, fuck. I got so overwhelmed because, like, I was like, dude, there's, like... You don't. You don't even. You're not even looking at the card. Okay, you're looking at the code. Doesn't even fucking matter about the card. Okay, yeah. you're looking at the code. So like, it's so weird, and it was like really hard for me to want to like get back into that. And I can see how a buyer could, would just buy a different, you know, art blue eyes and not even realize that it's not the original one. Right. Right. Or you know, the, the issue that a lot of people have is they just don't know Yu-Gi-Oh, right? Yes. right? And so guys come into Yu-Gi-Oh and they're like, okay, so how does this compare to Pokemon, right? And then that's when they started saying, okay, is LOB the same thing as base set? It must be. It's the first booster set. Wrong, right? Yep. LOB is not going to be like base set. It's not. I mean, it can be. Right. I mean, the market can make it like LOB or can make LOB like base set. Right. But LOB is is not like, I, I, have, a tr- I have trouble trying to explain to people and this happens a lot, you know, people come and they're like, okay, you know, so this is like, you know, this in Pokemon. I'm like, no, like this is not, <laughs> yeah. these two things are not the same. Like there are some similarities, right? you know, unlimited legend of blue eyes does have a shadowless like uh reprint or not a reprint does have a shadowless like printing. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, the wavy and glossy varieties in first edition um, bleed into the original unlimited set. You know, so the printers that made wavy and the printers that made glossy um, still had uh, sheets left over after the print um, the printing was done for first edition. And so right. there are some unlimiteds that are glossy, and there are some unlimiteds that are wavy, and those are like shadowless. But that's like the the very limit of my comparison to Pokemon. Right? right. There is no card that is the Pikachu Illustrator in Yu-Gi-Oh. I mean, there are cards that are one of one. There right, right. There's like four. trophy cards and stuff in Yu-Gi-Oh and stuff yep. like that, but there's not there's not nothing right. like that for sure. No, I think what's also cool totally though is market. like I think that a lot of like you see a lot of like the rappers and the influential people like coming into Pokemon and stuff like that, but I think that there's just as many like rappers and influential people who are now all about Yu-Gi-Oh and have always probably been about Yu-Gi-Oh before they were about Pokemon. And so like, you know, you look at uh, these younger generations getting into Yu-Gi-Oh purely because their favorite rapper is into Yu-Gi-Oh. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I think there's even like, there's blue eyes, white dragon tennis shoes that like are produced that are like, I I would never get caught wearing (laughs) that. The concept is, is interesting. Yeah. And I think, you know, even though the aesthetics elude me, Yep, but at the same time, you can see why somebody would want to wear it, and I think that that's why Yu-Gi-Oh! will always have value and a markability to it, because a lot of these kids that are into Yu-Gi-Oh! that now have become famous or big, they're going to be talking about it, and anime right now in general is super, super hot as well, like Dragon Ball Z is extremely hot with all the kids is uh they still got tsunami tsunami yeah. still on cartoon Network. well i mean it came back it, still air it, it came back it was it stopped it stopped airing for a few years actually oh like, did it yeah yeah like they they were making shit dude they were making any money so they discontinued it for a few years and then they brought yeah. it back because they were able to find the markability again towards it but 
uh, anime in general is crazy, crazy hot right now. And I think that anybody who creates a collectible or like uh, merchandise or anything around that, you know, anime is going to be a winner in the future because now we're living, you know, back in the day, you know, in the 90s and in the early 2000s, you had to have a, a TV and you had to either yep. have access to just regular free uh, um, television programming, which had like the Saturday morning cartoons and stuff like that, that I watched. Yes, I or you actually had to have well. money and have cable, yeah. you know, and have Cartoon Network and all the other anima- uh, animation stuff, right? Yep. And so... And your bootleg dial-up internet. Exactly. Yeah. But now you have it right in Don't your phone. Don't answer the phone! <laughs> you have it right in your phone. You have it right yeah. in your phone. Yep. And so right, any kid... Right here. Every single kid on a bus yep. can be watching anime. Every single, you know, a- a- and I think that the 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 availability to the anime is just so much wider. So I think you're gonna see in like 10, 20 years, some of these animes like really become like a nostalgic market. Like uh, like you see Pokemon, Magic, Yu Gi Oh. We are we are we are getting there. I'm yeah. telling you, and it's happening fast. I mean, you know, you talked about something that I always like to touch on is that the the hobby survives by um, bringing in new people. By yeah, by by creating new you know players generations. By having, by bring, I there's say. a word for this, but yeah, but yeah, but bringing people in dude, by through inclusion, through influencers, through advertisement or whatever. You know, Yu-Gi-Oh is no different, right? You know, we want to cultivate um, an atmosphere that uh, breeds you know, inclusion. We want kids to come in. We want people to play the game. We want meta to thrive and we want, you know, exciting events and we want good advertising and we want video games and we want like, you know, tournaments and prizes and new rarities and and new content for the collector base so that, you know, we bring people in so that when old people like me get really old or die, right? Like there's somebody to replace me, right? There's somebody who knows what they're doing. And so, you know, information like the information that I build for PSA, the information that builds collectability, creates niche markets and, and you know, markets inside markets inside markets, right? That's the information we want to produce and give out for free um, for subscribers, for content, you know, so right. that kids can see that and say, wow, okay, so I have, I have actually, you know, there's tons of ways to collect this stuff. I don't have to do it like he did it. I could do it any way I want to, right? I, I know. I've talked about that before. Anything. Yep. Yes. That's, that's cool. what we want. We want people to see that there are things that are still, we're still finding things out about Yu-Gi-Oh! That there is depth that hasn't been discovered, that you can make a name for yourself by being somebody who creates new content, discovers new things, finds things, and creates a venue for people to actually get that information and do something with it. That's right. how we, we steward the profession. That's yep. what you do. That is important. Rather than just being a quiet buyer or a quiet seller or you know capitalizing on your uh, knowledge and creating a position, yep. you want to create uh, competition because that's what creates you know new record prices, new collectability and things like that. That's right. my opinion. No, I think I think I think you're pretty correct on that because you know, like we were talking about coin collecting. Coin collecting yep. has not really survived the generations. There's less and less and less people every generation that's interested in coin collecting. And right. you look at and, and those like old twisted. tin toys. You look at those old tin toys from like the 30s and yep. stuff. Who's collecting those? Yeah. 
Nobody. Only kids who I were mean, alive people. during that time who were playing with those toys. And yeah, I think, very few people. you know, when you look at like sports, sports is like one of the first things that will always be multi-generational. It will always be passed down to the uh, the child, you know, and the child yep. will always want to be involved with what the parents are into. And the parents are always going to be into sports. Well, and that's just, you know, the way it is. There's a thriving economy for sports. Right. And athletics in general. I mean, and that's what creates that, you know, but don't get it twisted. Like investing is not collecting, right? These are not the same things. And I'm not making a semantics argument here. I'm, I'm literally telling you the fundamental thought behind the two things. Exactly. Fundamentally different. And that's why you see sports and everything else, you know, besides when you look at coin collecting, man, the, the like guys who stack, right. That's the word that they, yeah, yeah. Where they just stack coins. Yeah. Billion, bullion, you know, like so, like those guys are not collectors. Yep. they're they're speculators. They're investors. They like coins and they may collect coins, but stacking is not collecting, in right. my opinion, right? right? Because there's no depth, right? You're missing that actual collector attitude, right? Exactly. You want to know, okay, you know what's the difference between this and this? Like, how do I know? And there are, I mean, numismatics is an established. It's like a, almost a religion, right? I mean, right. it's a big deal. It's been around for millennia. Yeah. Right? As long as there have been coins, there have been collectors of it. Yeah. That's why ancient coins still exist because people in the 1500s collected Roman coins, right? right. I mean, all of these things, you know, have been around forever. And so the literature, the scholarship, the academic, all of that is established. It's been there for hundreds of years. Yeah. Right. And we are a very young hobby. I mean, if you think about trading cards, trading cards go back to maybe the 1800s like the 1880s when they were putting presidents on these things. Right, right. Like, and like little, you know, they, I wouldn't even consider them cards. I would consider them like little tickets almost to like, you know, yeah, like, they're, a, they're like, yeah. Yep. yep. And it's not really a trade. I mean, it's a trading card because it's not like a sport or whatever. Right, famous, right. But, you know, back then they used to give out, you know, images of famous people like Ulysses yep. S. Grant, yep. you know, Indian chiefs and Native American chiefs like yep. Chief Red Cloud and, and big famous people and have them sign it. Like, so that culture does exist and has existed for a long time right right um but for like you know compared to compared to coins it's it's like a drop in the bucket yeah exactly and it's it's pretty cool to see especially with like you know i'm seeing pokemon you know i'm very glad that they at least kept the anime all these years even at the lowest point when they were making the least amount of money they kept it going just because they truly believed in what they created and that was you know when you saw uh, niantic bring up pokemon go and then it just it was off you know everybody came right storming right back yeah and in that first year niantic made a billion dollars they made so much money bro and that's yeah and that's what pokemon was like we have to Come on in here. Come on in here. No this big is, deal. <laughs> this is the answer. This is the moment. Right. Yep. This is what we want to do. And that was that was that that was what Pokemon that was that was that hobby needed. You know what I'm saying? And you're seeing like yes. Digimon being reproduced. I don't know anything about uh what they're doing, but like I don't to know me, anything about to Digimon. me it like well Digimon you've obviously heard of it. But like, I know what Digimon is, yeah, but I don't know like any. I never watched the show, and I never collected the cards. Right, right, okay. So they had just reproduced. They're like, I think they're trying to bring it back, yep. you know. And yep. um, I don't know if there is an anime or like there's other merchandise, but I'm not seeing anything about that. I'm only seeing people like talk about the cards, and I'm like, well, 
Digimon has to hurry up and come up with something to 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 make it collectible it to the new else. people, not just to the people who knew it from being a kid in the nineties, right? They want yeah, they need to bring in the new generation, and then that's how you create. DBS did this well. Yep. Right. DBS created a game, yep. and I don't know if the game is good or not. I hear conflicting reviews, but but which game are you talking about? Is it Budokai? More people in. What's that? Is it uh, which game are you talking about for DBZ? Is it is it uh, DBS, Budokai? The, the, no, no, I mean the uh, the DBS card game itself, mm. the Dragon Ball Super card game. Yep. Right? And so, yep. you know, they created new Dragon Ball cards, but they actually made a competitive game with prize cards, with tournaments, you know, because they always have video games and they still yep. have shows. And, and Dragon Ball Z and- video games have been always super popular and super successful too, yep. like the Budokai it's, it's series. A, it's the anime version of. Uh, well, I guess I can't say it's the anime version of Tekken because Tekken is kind of like anime. <laughs> yeah, know? yeah, but it doesn't it have it's a like TV show to back it up. And like I was, really. I was like watching, you know, um, the the toys that made us and stuff. And you see a yeah. lot of those toys that had crazy, crazy success. What did they have behind them? They had a TV show. They had some kind TV of airing weekly yeah. or daily to the viewers and to the potential buyers. And I'm not seeing Digimon do any of that so like i'm really no. really i don't know interested to see if they're going to because if they don't i think it's they're doomed to fail again and digimon yeah, what did digimon do they failed because it was kind of like a competition to pokemon right it's a play on yeah. the name it's a rip off of the pokemon name right out of the way so and much better so much better and everybody was like oh pokemon stands for pocket monsters and then digimon is digital monsters and everybody went right to Pokemon and it, it was really it was really it, different because they kind of released at the same time, right? Within a couple of Pokemon years of made each other. Sense. I mean yep. everything Pokemon like, did you make could sense. actually go through Pokemon and be like, okay, you know, yes, this is all like, you know, imaginary, put the fourth wall aside real quick. You know, inside of that game, it makes sense, right? I didn't see the same thing from Digimon. And they're like, you know, Digimon is a meme. You know, because of that, right? So you right. got this thing that evolves into a refrigerator and then a toaster. Yep, yep, I've you know seen I mean? that. Like, yeah, because they had to like yeah, really be dramatic about it, you know, to order <laughs> to like kind of, you know, take it up a notch yeah. from Pokemon. They had to be really dramatic for sure. Yeah. Talking about DBS, I mean, when people talk to me about, you know, because I see some people, you know, I get do get some messages about DBS because I did delve into, you know, Dragon Ball Super for a little bit in the cards. And people would message me and say, you know, is this worth investing in? And I would say, if you want to invest in Dragon Ball, invest in score. Yep. Limited edition score. That's the Dragon Ball Z, or that's the Dragon Ball stuff that people are going to want. Right. So when you look at Dragon Ball and you think, okay. You know, I'm not really, really versed in Dragon Ball, so you're, you're, you're teaching me. So continue on. Continue well, on. I mean, and I'm not as well versed as I should be. But, you know, when I think about Dragon Ball, I don't think about DBS. Right. I like DBS yep. and I like the art on a lot of the special rares like the, oh, Emperor, DBZ. the Universe 7 or whatever. But when yeah. I think about Dragon Ball cards, I want DBZ score yeah. and I want the limited edition. I want Super Saiyan 3 Goku, right? First that's that is the that is the pinnacle, right, yeah. of DBZ in my opinion. Yeah. Right? Cuz there I don't think there were any prize cards for DBZ. No, you know, I don't think there was either. Um, I would, uh, I would love to see if there was, I think, yeah, I don't know. I think that would be really cool. I'm out of my depth here. (laughs) But, you know, I think about limited edition DBZ, Super Saiyan 3 Goku first. Then, you know, you've got, you know, the other limited editions like Frieza, like Majin Vegeta, you know, all of those cards, like 
they have a lot of depth that matters. Like, yes, CBS is cool. Yes, the offshoot is cool. You know, yes, they got rid of GT. Okay, GT isn't cool. You know, the cards <laughs> didn't look that cool. You know, but but the actual like Boo Saga, the yeah. uh, Android Saga cards, like those cards, people loved that show because yeah. when that show aired, we were at the right age to target. And yep. we remember that, and that's nostalgic. That's iconic. That's what we remember. And so when you think about that, and the art looks good, the aesthetics are right, and it has a limited edition, right? I think so. Those I think Pokemon should follow suit, something like that. And it bothers me. Bothers me. Oh, that there's no first ed anymore. Well, sort of, and like I mean, like first ed, but at least like some kind of limited edition cards, or you know, like I've been talking yeah. about this with sports people, and like you see that a lot of other places. Where you know, like everybody knows, there's only a hundred of those cards ever printed. There's only this much of that card right. ever printed, you know, and nobody knows that about like Pokemon. And there is no specific cards besides trophy cards that are on an extreme limited known printing basis. And I think, yep. um, I think Pokemon would really survive and be even hotter than what they are right now if they just released a product like that. That was, you know, these are, they, they do, they, they release like the premium boxes and all that. And that's not really yeah. what I mean. I mean, like numbered cards, like they have in sports. And I mean, yeah. like the word limited edition printed directly on the fucking yeah, card. Yeah. I'm talking yeah, yeah. a lot of specific things that you do for this specific card release that can attract even more people into the hobby that are not, you know, and I think like the 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 sports aspect of one of one or like one of ten can you imagine like a one of ten charizard or a one of like one charizard with, with the actual you're talking about with the literal one of ten like they uh, yeah do. where they write on it one of one or one of ten one of one. One yeah of ten. or like three yeah, of ten or seven of ten right and yeah. so there's actual known printing numbers i imagine, can guarantee you imagine you would see pokemon a pokemon card actually- be more than a million dollars i can that imagine would, if yeah, pokemon easily. actually released these like big thousand dollar packs like they do in yeah sports, where you could pull a thing out and it would say okay if you send this into pokemon we will send it to fakuda and he will sign it or it's already signed sports. or it's already signed or it's already signed like a, right. a rookie auto patch or like a rookie sketch patch that would be dope yeah. if they like had Fukuda sketch the Pokemon yeah. on a piece of paper and then cut out little wouldn't, squares wouldn't and then made like wild? a one of ten Man. series. Oh, dude, I, I'd be fucking, I'd be Come irate, on, are bro. You listening? Yeah, right. Please, Pokemon, yeah. take fucking notes. You know. Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> Yu-Gi-Oh recently took a dive into making things in booster sets that are more rare. So there are, I mean, yep. if you want to talk like Yu-Gi-Oh history, there is a a litany of, you know precedent for rarities in Yu-Gi-Oh! And it hasn't gotten any less rare. I mean, Yu-Gi-Oh! has consistently made things more rare. Yep. So if you look at the TCG alone, the rarest thing when the TCG debuted in 2002 was a tournament pack ultra rare. One in 108 packs. 20 card box, or 20 pack box, yep. three card pack, right? One in 18 packs has a super rare. So you get one super rare, maybe two. I've had boxes with two. Yeah. In a in box, one box. A tournament pack. This is a thousand dollar box. You're pulling sixty cards, dude. You get sixty cards in the box. That's amazing. And then you get one in six have a rare, 
One in 18 have a super rare. Yeah. One in 108. So five boxes in, you could conceptually not get an ultra rare. I, I just pulled this, actually. Pack four. Never bought, never had a, never pulled an ultra rare. Do you know, never. this one says first edition on it. Do you know if it's super rare? No, that's a ghost rare, um, um, wing dragon of raw from yeah. the, um, uh, says led um, seven. I can't even yeah, remember. Like legendary duelist. Um, yep. I forget the name of the actual set, right? Yeah, yeah. So, um, it's the fifth release of the TCG's legendary duelist set. It was the first re-release of ghosts since they took ghosts away in, and I'm going to get crucified again. Cause I'm like a Yu-Gi-Oh expert, you know, and people are gonna be like, I can't believe you can't remember everything. And I'm be like, come on, man. You got it, buddy. You got it. Pull it. Pull it out. What is it? So I don't know. I don't know what the last (laughs) coaster was. I think it was. um, I'm gonna. I'm gonna. Mobius. Maybe. No. Probably not. What Um, year? Do you know what year? No. I. I, My guess is 2013. I don't know shit about you. No. (laughs) I know that the last ultis were released in uh, the Dimensions of Chaos. I think. Um, and then the ultis after that are only astral packs. But I mean, I, we're talking about rarity, right? right? Ultra rares and tournament packs, one in 108. That was the rarest thing that existed up until they released Ghosts. Yeah. Ghosts came out with um, um, Tactical Evolution, um, and Rainbow Dragon was the first Ghost rare yeah. uh, to be released. If, as long as you're not counting the unique test print, Power of the Duelist OCG, right? One of one whatever sure, yeah you know there is there is one i've i've seen it it's owned by a misprint collector um i assume it's like has it been authenticated like, or no 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 but a lot of these guys don't want to send it to psa and i don't know that psa would even be able to authenticate it because you know there's no history of it really existing right so okay you know there's a lot of gray area there and i want i, I want psa to start doing that to yeah. you know really start being able to authenticate uh those those one-off type cards because i think that's that adds a unique ability i think legally because they don't want to authenticate something that doesn't have a history of existing under the assumption that it is real when it could be not you see what i'm saying like Uh, yeah i get that 100 percent. i mean like there's got to be like some kind of history hat on right now (laughs) yeah right there's got to be some history that one can find of that existing you know and like i think the that was recently done with those test print uh blastoises or whatever that cgc ended up grading that psa couldn't authenticate and like there's there was a lot of uh there's a lot of uh backstory to that and like watsy employees coming out you know and saying this is was a legitimate thing and da 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 yes and this is hard in in konami's world because we don't have that kind of connection right like a konami upper deck employee coming out and be like yes we i was there when this was made i was on the staff when we talked about this or whatever you know and so that outreach that you would want you know from a psa perspective to validate the card just isn't there right and so it's challenging i think you know to authenticate something when you can't say yeah i can i can vouch that this is actually authentic or not right right and do you so, think uh do you think uh human human uh you know i don't know how to say it like uh the bad parts of human character could ever you know say say something false in order to be you know authenticated to financially gain from it you mean like 
people would lie to to make and money. all this was this was actually printed in our yeah, facility not, but it wasn't it's but it's because maybe. because i own a copy of it you know that's why i say it's real this is the problem you i know? have with proxies right because proxies are some proxies are really well made but they like the seller is saying oh i advertise it as a proxy but nowhere on the card does it say it's a proxy and right. so in like 10 years after this is traded hands for multiple times like you hit that and one people forget that this producer made them one guy with malicious intent takes that card and puts it up on eBay and sells it to a guy who thinks it's real. That yep. guy buys it and, and, and thinking it's real and sends it to PSA. And now, right. I have to contend with whether or not this card is real or not yep. when it comes time to figure out, you know, if it's good to grade or not, or even worse, it gets graded. And then the seller, you know, takes it or the grader takes it and sells it to somebody who sells it to somebody who has it in the shop. And then, Somebody like me shows up and says, well, this is fate. Yeah. And then, you know, it's traded hands so many times that the traceability no longer exists yeah. and you can't return it. And now that guy wants to see PSA, you know, because PSA authenticated it and I should be able to buy anything I want with the PSA label and it should be exactly as it exactly. is. Exactly. Exactly. Stuff like that, you know, and, and it's not unreal for a customer to expect that, but it's right. also extremely challenging in the modern world when you, in the digital world, in the digital age, when you could literally make cards that are like you know 99% of a real card right so how do you it's, how do you contend with i don't that? know man it's crazy and that's like the same thing it's as tough. like why i don't really like uh light packs uh because yeah. you know it just it could just switch so many hands and nobody knows about those packs anymore and then boom suddenly they're unweighed packs you know and that's why with alpha and beta packs yeah, and I know that Yu-Gi-Oh packs are probably – I've never even heard of, you know, weighing packs in Yu-Gi-Oh, but I'm sure that's a, a, an it issue happens, as well. It is prolific. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. It makes sense. I mean, uh, those cards are easily detectably weighable from, a, a you know, that perspective. So I can see why people fucking do that, and it's – I bought it's wrong. I hate I hate light packs. Like the only any time I want to see a light pack is when it's encased by PSA. That's the only fucking time I want to see a light a light pack. You yeah. know, like straight. Well, I mean, up. if you buy a pack from PSA, you know it doesn't matter if it's light or not conceptually. I mean, you're buying well, right, pack right, and that's why, and that's why you know, like I've been a part of breaks. I've been a part of breaks where you know all the packs are random, but if it's if it's a heavy pack, it gets open, and if it's a light pack, it's going straight to PSA and getting graded, and that's. Why I, I have I have some yeah. some amazing PSA ten packs that I'm super proud of that be, because of that they got graded and right. I and I also think it's an, an important way uh, uh, to keep a lot of those packs off the market uh, as a, as a box breaker or as a, yep. a, a provider distributor of some way in these packs and boxes to help keep all that off of the market. Yeah, I mean. It's impossible to protect the market fully, right? I yeah. Mean, and it, just like it's impossible for PSA to never damage a card or BGS to never damage a card or for, you know, BGS to never grade a, a card correctly. Because you got the human in the loop. You've got probability versus volume. Yep. Right? You will inevitably have this. That's why this is why insurance exists. If PSA got it right every time, why would they need insurance? Exactly. They, they get it right all the time. They don't need insurance. Yep. Right? You, you need that, right? That happens. Right. And so it's unrealistic for people, I think, to expect that PSA, BGS, CGC, 
you know, any grading company is always going to get it right every single time. Yep. It's impossible. It's, 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 it's a statistical impossibility yeah. to do it, right? Over and an infinite period of time. Yeah, over an infinite. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I think, you know, with I think PSA's biggest problem is keeping employees at, at the rate that they want to pay them just because that there's... Oh, I don't know. Um, well, I've been to PSA no headquarters comment. and I have... Um, I've uh, yeah. seen where they are. They're in the corporate area in Calabasas, and the median income is already over a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, so like, so PSA yeah. just to be able to compete in the job market there, they have to pay that much. And I think that you know, there's not enough people who want to take you know a salary dive almost to go work at PSA and grade cards by the ten thousandths of you know every week and it's a really you know it's like it's it's kind of like a factory job just a well-paying factory job you know it's it's probably like a factory line i mean yeah you know you you get a card you get this much time i assume like i I don't know and i I, i'll abstain right but um you know i i know that you know the area is expensive in that. Yeah. The cost of living is extremely high. Like there's nobody who's going to want to take a job at PSA for 50,000 a year and then have to spend 40,000, you know, on living. And then, you know, you're getting taxed the other 10,000. And then where does that leave you? And I tell you, man, like, even for me, like I do the stuff I do with PSA out of love for the hobby. And because I, want to insulate the hobby from negative influences as much as I can to help the hobby grow and to steward the profession and bring people in, produce information and content that's real is, is honest. Right. And, and an actual representation of the market that we either are looking at or want. Those are the things that I took the job for. I didn't take the job because they're paying me, you know, enough money so I can go down and buy a, how did you you get, how did you get hooked up with PSA? If you don't mind me asking. Um, they, I was contacted on Instagram really by, by the, by the account manager for the Instagram account. Yeah. And, Crazy. um, they, they, he was like, you know, we're looking for a guy who knows about Yu-Gi-Oh and, you know, we love the content that you produce. And, you know, I was grading and collecting a lot of PSA stuff at, at the time. Right. The market was so they knew affordable. you by account name as well and everything. Yeah. They, they reached out to me on social media. Crazy. Right? And I wasn't like a prolific guy yet. I mean, I was just a collector with, you know, a decent rep and I had maybe like a thousand followers and, you know, I messaged the guy or the gal that they sent me to and we conducted an interview and, you know, we agreed on, you know, terms and, and I took the job. I mean, that's cool. And I always consider that, you know, whatever it is, I get paid, right. That the other half of the paycheck that I would ostensibly make if I didn't care about the market and I was just in it for the money is paid by the community that I represent. Right. I really find value in being able to represent the hobby at PSA and to bring that into right. PSA's doorway and say, look, we are a part of a bigger thing than just the money. And PSA recognizes that and they want to represent the market yeah. and the hobby because they understand that there's a value in being a part of a larger community and that the community finding value or the, the community finding value or finding PSA finding value, right? Right. The commu- right. If the community thinks that PSA values and, and actually does value right, the hobby that yeah. they are more apt to go to PSA because PSA represents the values that the community has. Yeah, and yeah. that's important, right? Because millennials are very concerned about ethics, morals, a hundred, like hundred thousand percent. 
more than anybody else ever. Yes. Yeah. It's very important. (laughs) Integrity. Integrity is important. Right. And you want to represent. So when we build price guides, exactly. The price guides aren't inflated based on shilling. Right. And so when you talk to a guy, you know, who shills the blue eyes and he's like, why isn't the PSA guide the, for the blue eyes, the value that I shilled the auction to at? Because you shilled the auction. Yep. <laughs> because we know you shilled the auction, right? Yes. Because we know that the value of the card or that this value is a statistical, at least a statistical outlier. If I didn't know that it was shilled, I would still say, hey, look, this is a statistical outlier. It's exactly. Exactly. I mean, you know what I mean? When you see a card like that jump and it's, when there's when there's other availability on the market, like it's just not there's, really. Cr- there's eighty one of them, right? Yeah, exactly. Is and, the next one going to sell any, for And any one, any one of those people, I'm sure, didn't pay anywhere near that amount of money. No, who I would who would want to cash out at that time? You know, so then after that, you man. would even if it wasn't shield, you would still see at least you know five percent of the market become available, and then yeah, you know, do well, it that way. Happened. You see that, right? So you see. You see that. Uh, I, I can talk historical with base set boxes. Uh, you don't really know about base set boxes, but after uh, no, base set boxes and all that became super popular, and then uh, they were going for like thirty-five to forty thousand dollars at the time. I remember Boom. when base set was like five hundred. Thirty, forty box, base set boxes came on the market. Then. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I but thought now, it was overpriced boom. in 2016 when it was five hundred dollars for unlimited. I, 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 and now, yeah, they're $30,000 now or whatever. Well, right now, right now, the last auction that was heritage auction sold for 28, eight, but they were selling for $40,000. And when you saw, when you saw that sell close to that is when you also saw like 20, 30 boxes come onto the market and suddenly become available. And then boom, you have one after another, after another becoming, uh, available to the market. And that was the biggest thing that like people try to use Pokemon as a case study and try to say that it was a bubble and all this stuff is because a PSA nine base at Charizard at the time before the rise was selling for around $1,600, which I will, I want to note, which is about three, four times what it was selling for in March of the same year. Okay. So even though before all this super boom, it was still going for a lot more than what it was. And yeah. then yeah. and then you saw it go boom. It went to like 5,600, almost 7,000, I think. It's like the 6,100, I, I think, is like the lo- I highest I saw. I remember seeing the memes in my group chat. Yeah, yeah. And what did you see? That popular. Yeah. Not a lot of people are are, are, are are being hip to like when they're trying to buy Pokemon. It's like a, it's more of an emotional thing and not an educational thing, you know? So yeah. they just buy a PSA yeah, 9 Charizard because, oh, it's a PSA 9 Charizard. It's the second best card you yep. can get for Charizard, blah, 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 blah. But yep. they don't realize yep. that a PSA 9 Charizard has a population of over 5,000. Even though that that population is very misrepresented with the cards that were yeah, being cracked. Yeah, 20% less than that. Yeah, yeah, 100%. But still, that's still five figures of or four figures of uh, yeah that's crazy (laughs) that's That's insane (laughs) so what did you see you saw that psa 9 charizard sell for sixty one hundred dollars and then boom 20 percent of the market became available and ending hour after hour after hour for the next two weeks was psa 9 charizards and boom that's why that's how you see a card go right back down is when almost the entire rest and it's not even like the entire rest of the market because that's such a huge market there's so much availability are, for that card. Wow. PSA 9 yeah. 
being that much in a in a oh it, it is blows my mind. It blows my mind. It really does. No, and it's a Charizard. A you know, it would I, I would I would uh I would say it would be a little bit different if it was, you know, like a Pokemon that wasn't as prolific as Charizard, but this is Charizard and it's supposed to be rare and it's supposed to be the highest echelon of Pokemon, you know, and all these yeah, collectors' it's eyes. Supposed to be, it's supposed to be an apex collectible card. Exactly, it's and like the top of the market. It's it a, really shows it's a that it is mover, as I as I would say in a lot of my articles for PSA. Like there are there are collectibles, and then there are collectibles. Exactly, right? and the difference is huge, right? Because some of the cards, like they are market movers. When yep. a blue eye sells for eighty five thousand dollars, it moves the entire market with it. Yep, the entire market comes with it. When a Jinzo sells for over $2,500, the entire market comes with it. When Morphing Jar sells for over $10,000, the entire market comes with it, right? That, those cards are market movers. They're, they're big deal cards. And and those are the ones that you want to watch to actually look at the health of the actual market itself. Because yeah, nines, you know, there's tons of them, right? Blue Eyes collectors are dealing with this now because they think that there's a ratio that exists between the nine and the 10 for value. And it doesn't, it doesn't exist. Tens are going to outpace nines exponentially yeah. because nines are just more available and yep. people want tens and they settle for nine. Yep. And so when you look at nines and tens and you say, okay, well, this 10 sold for $85,000, my nine must be worth like 35K. Wrong, right? Yep. Wrong. Because nines don't have an equatable value to 10 necessarily speaking, right? And so people yep. will want to pay you for a nine, but they're not going to pay you you know, $35,000 for a nine, they're going to offer you 12, 15, yep. maybe. Right. And you can hold out. And, and it's not, it it's not subject or it's not objective at all. It's not no, every it's card, not. every it's, card's PSA nine does performs differently than it's 10, every single one. Yeah. And I've seen yeah. cards, so, you know, like closer, like the PSA nine crystal Charizard. That's like almost half of what a PSA 10 is. But if you look yeah, at a, a PSA ten, thinking about those zards. <laughs> but I mean, a PSA ten crystal Charizard, that one's at least you know less than a hundred in PSA ten pop. Even the base I, set unlimited Charizard in a PSA ten, I think is like five hundred or four hundred. It's a lot. Like I mean, I had a it's a lot less crystal. than PSA nine, but still. I had a nine crystal that I bought for three hundred dollars in twenty sixteen, right? And I sold it, I think, to this guy named Pokey Soul in Canada, right? And he regraded it at 10 right and then it was worth like you know i sold him for like 800 bucks or something like that yeah and you're patting yourself on the back you're like i fucking doubled my money no big deal (laughs) right and my my old man dad is like sell all those pokemon cards they ain't worth shit son and and so i did right i sold it right i sold the card upgraded it to a 10 now it's like a twenty thousand dollar card i'm like fuck man yep you know i could i could have had it yeah but you know i mean it's water under the bridge but, you know, I mean, I gave my Pokemon cards to my sister a while back, yeah. um, you know, before the boom. And, yeah. and I don't look back on that at all. I'm happy, you know, that. She at least you kept it in the family and, you know, she can appreciate it if she does. Yeah. And and they were just sitting collecting dust because I'm so involved with Yu-Gi-Oh! Now yeah. I don't have the time of yeah. day to, like, look at those cards and buy more Pokemon cards. And now I don't have the bankroll to do it either. And, yeah. you know, so it's just like, you know, Yu-Gi-Oh! To me is like it's it's worth it to me to invest all of my time into something to be an expert rather than to invest a little bit of time into everything yep. to be like a, a master of of none you know really yeah so yeah yeah i know exactly what you're none. saying yeah yeah so 
I would rather spend the time doing that and to come on here and talk to you about depth in the Yu-Gi-Oh market than to be right. like, oh yeah, I know a little bit about everything. You know, what do you want to know about you know basic economics? Right, right, right. right. I mean, we could talk about that all day, and you know, that's I I, I want to know more of uh, of the guy behind the account, and I want to know you know a lot of what you're into and how. I think your perspective is a very important one to share just because you're in a very unique spot and not a lot of people are in that same spot. So it's important love, to hear this. I love um, I love variety hunting in Yu-Gi-Oh! because there's still a ton of, like I said, depth in the market to yep. find. Um, you know, you can look at varieties. And then to, uh, the other thing I like to look at is you know, finding marketability in modern Yu-Gi-Oh! Is, does yep. it exist? Does it not? If it does exist, where is it? And why does it exist? And so we talked about rarity earlier on and, you know, the transition from, you know, ultra rares in tournament packs being the rarest one in a hundred to ghost rares in, you know, GX and 5Ds and Zexel being the rarest with one in, you know, 244 pack poles. That's crazy. Um, that raw, this raw it was funny because out of the I bought like three boxes and the first box I didn't get anything. And then the very first pack of the second box, I was like, wouldn't this be hilarious if it was a ghoster? Boom. And I was like, oh shit. I don't even one, have to open one up none of those packs. Case. One per case, right? That's, that's crazy. That's the ghost rare average. Yep. Is one in two hundred. 144 so it's you know 24 and a i box, like those box, rarities you know? i like i wish that pokemon would go back to that at least that because like with the gold stars that's why i think gold stars are like the highest echelon of rarity in any in any psa grade because there was just so little box, of a no printed and there was it sometimes it took three boxes to get a gold star you know it was yeah it was normally yeah. one and two but it could be one and three sometimes and that's wow yeah, it, and ghost rares are one in a case and Starlight. How many boxes are in a case? Is it ten? What? How many boxes are in a case? Twelve. Twelve. Sorry. Damn. Twelve boxes in a case. Yeah. Twenty-four packs in a box. Twelve packs. Twelve boxes in a case. That's insane. Right. And so the other, the other, the newest rarity, the newest big rarity was when they announced the Starlight rare. So Starlight rares are one in every other case. Yeah. So it's like one in four or five hundred packs. Like, that's what rare, I think is cool. That's what I, that's what I want. That's what I want. I want more of that. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like, to pull that and ghost rare, that was badass. One in one case. Like, I didn't even know it was one in 12, like, chances. One in, one in 12 boxes wow. on average, right? And then the Starlights, because ghosts come in first edition and unlimited. Starlights only come in first edition. And so when you get an unlimited release of, of a set in the newest modern set, yeah. you cannot get a Starlight rare. I was getting. You can't do it. I was. I uh. What was it? Toon Chaos is the one that yep. kind of like brought me back a little bit in Love terms it. of just buying Love the new set. product. Um, yep. I know. I really wish I bought like three first edition boxes and I didn't want to spend any more money on it. And all my friends were like, "No, you should buy it. You should buy it." And I didn't listen. Yeah, I should have. I think collectors rares for Toon Chaos and other uh, offshoot sets like those exist in unlimited. Okay, um, but. But uh, I, I I'm know, a first edition are- guy. I'm a first edition guy. If you're gonna if you're gonna give me a, a choice between unlimited and first edition, it's first edition every time. Yeah. And I think that's yeah, how yeah. a lot of other collectors are too. I just I mean, that's why yeah. it's first edition because it's first edition. I'll caveat I'll caveat that a little bit because I think that there is something worth looking into there, right? So is first edition always should it be the default answer? If you don't know anything about Yu Gi Oh, yes, yes. 
The answer should be yes. If you don't know anything about, if you're just coming in, if you're a speculator, an investor, and you haven't read a single thing and you're too lazy to watch a YouTube video that I have on my YouTube page, fine. Buy first edition. Right. But if, if you do know about unlimited, right? Unlimited has a ton of reprints. You can really get burned on unlimited. If you buy a modern reprint thinking it's an original, it's an original card, right? You really need to know your shit to get it right. But if you do, and you can crack the code and figure out, or if you just want to DM me and spam me pictures, right? Yeah. I will try and find the time to answer you while I'm sitting on the pot. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's like there, there is value in unlimited if you can find original copies from 2002 and 2003. And if they're in mint condition, it's almost worth buying those right. over damaged first edition cards. Because, you know, like you say, there are tons of nines, eights, sevens, and the more you know, damage you pile onto that card, the more available they become. Yep. Right. So it's harder to find mint unlimited original cards in the yep. Yu-Gi-Oh sets from the first sets from classic than it is to find a first edition damaged injection fairy lily. It it is. And oh my if god. You have an eye injection fairy lily. Love it. Love that card. I play I still play classic. I, uh, I don't play goat as much, but I love goat I I, I if I was gonna get back into playing Yu-Gi-Oh, it would be classic. That's where I kind of fell off was all the tuner stuff and all the fairy stuff. I was Apex. not really yeah. into it. The X Y Z shit. I was like, oh come on. I mean, like you're just trying to make it more complex, you know? Like it's yeah. it's awesome the way it is, and I loved it that way. But I remember when I was like. 12 years old i think i worked my ass off for a whole summer right and like yeah. uh my my uncle owned a business and he's like come and work uh work for me i won't pay you but at the end of the summer whatever you want i'll buy you it you know and i'll buy a big you know if i wanted like a playstation or whatever i wanted he was gonna buy it for me and so yeah. i told him i was like no i want a shit ton of Yu-Gi-Oh cards and he bought me a ton of it and i ended up like yeah. with three first edition injection fairy lilies like out of them oh yeah dude oh my god and i just thought it was and that card in in itself like was an extremely playable card and that's what i talk about like huge um, beat stick man yeah and uh that's what i talk about in modern pokemon is the the modern playability versus the modern collectability okay because there's two different markets always for pokemon and one of them is the playability of that card interest (laughs) (laughs) yeah this is big this is really big I yep. mean, when you look to invest in cards, people remember the crap they played. Exactly. Yes. You have to go and have to know yep. what meta is if you want to invest in modern. If you don't exactly. know meta, you don't exactly. invest in modern. And luckily, though, that Pokemon is usually pumping in some type of collectible card into it as yep. well. That's There's more collectible than it is playable. So it doesn't yep. really see any type of dip in the market once it falls out of rotation. Because that's where a lot of those playable cards, they lose their ability to perform in the market after they rotate out. Because none of these tournaments are yep. using them anymore. So none of these people the have best, them in their decks. And a lot of the, the times Pokemon has a full art, playable right? Playable and collectible. Yes. That's the best. If you yep. can get a card that's playable, dude, I'm going to, I'm going to name drop Appaloosa. Appaloosa <laughs> is going to be a $10,000 card, dude. Crazy. It's going to be a $10,000 card. All right. If you're listening to this podcast and yep. you don't know shit about Yu-Gi-Oh, buy Starlight Appaloosa. Starlight buy, Appaloosa. Just, I have no position in the market. I don't own any Appaloosa. <laughs> I'm not saying this to pump up my own profile. Yeah. I'm telling you. Appaloosa is the starlight to buy. It's one of the first, right? Yep. It's among the first starlights ever released. Only in first edition. Yep. Every other case, 
to, to just get a starlight and there's four of them so yep. if you wanted to pull an apple so it was like eight cases eight cases of yeah them. fuck it's that it's not possible dude it's not going to be possible in 10 years ten thousand dollar cards i yep. promise you that's crazy and it's starlight so a lot of them come off center that wax coating or that 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 sheen is delicate right yep. and so any of them very. that were played could very easily be damaged like one scratch psa 9 yep. right the 10s are worth it it's worth the it's worth the buy. Yep. If you can get one for fifteen or two thousand, buy it. You won't regret it. I'm telling you, it's a huge, huge thing. I'm gonna I'm gonna check it out because I've been I've been collecting more Pokemon lately, and the Toon Chaos with the collector rare I thought was uh, pretty interesting, and it's yeah. just it, it's really cool to see uh, the difference in like Yu Gi Oh versus Pokemon and their collectability and playability because like I was just saying that. Ejection very fairy lily at the time was an extremely collectible card. Everybody everybody ran it. Well not everybody, but I mean, Yeah, a was, lot of people a lot of people played. ran it in their everybody. deck. So it everybody. was it was not only a playable card and a collectible card, it was a fucking secret rare. All right? Yeah. And just like you're yep. talking about with that Starlight card, that that's where you're gonna box. see the availability not be non-existent in in years to come. Yeah, because that's insane. Like injection fairly being a secret rare, like uh, there was only supposed to be one in two boxes, right, or one in three boxes like in, for a secret in, rare. Or two in two in three, I think. Two and three. Like, it's like one in forty-one packs. Or and like each that. set so at the time had like three or four six. secret rares, right? Um, every classic set has two. The first two? one and the okay. last card in the set, yep, and yep. then. The the um, the hobby boxes, the twenty yep. fours, um, have the zero 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 Yada yep. yep. Legacy of Darkness, and the thirty sixes have the last card, which would be Injection, which would be yep. like yep. uh, one hundred. Yeah, yeah. There's one hundred and one cards in in Legacy of Darkness. Now, right. You know, Legend of Blaze Metal Raiders, um, Invasion of Chaos, and Ancient Sanctuary always come in twenty fours, and so you have to know the IPC or the um, the product code to know which one is hobby and which one is retail. That's but, crazy. I mean, at this point, the information is public knowledge. Right, uh, right. I even created uh, a, a like eighty seven page PowerPoint for PSA so that they could see the differences in the packs that were reprinted in two thousand and two and the packs that were reprinted in twenty seventeen. Yeah. I mean, and now PSA is producing. Graded packs that say 2017 Legend of Blue Eyes. So every pack that comes out of PSA's hands is not going to say 2002 anymore. Thank that's crazy. God, we did it. That's crazy. Huge deal. Because yeah. That, that, yeah. Product. To be able to that's differentiate, that's, that's important. Right. And yeah. that, that was like integrity. one of the things that, you know, I – I kind of like steered away from, I told you earlier, being overwhelmed because there's so many re- reprints of it's, fucking the same card. And man, the only thing that's up. differentiating them, it's not, it, I, I would, I would be a little bit more, you know, towards, yeah, this is a, a decent thing if they were actually differentiating them, like at least by the fucking date on the bottom of the card. Okay. Like, I don't know why the copyright yeah. has says the same original 19 fucking 95 date and it doesn't say anything. Yeah. 1996. Yeah. And, and it doesn't so say bad. shit. And and it's, it's just so, so confusing. It I really, a, really is. I want to be able to like know that 100% that this is not going to be a reprint, you know? And it, it makes me pull my hair out, dude. I'm, I'm going gray because of it, because <laughs> of Konami. Like I went gray in Afghanistan because of Afghans and I'm, not, not talking about Af- I don't want to disparage Afghanistan, <laughs> but, you know. I see what you're saying. It was yeah. hard. I mean, it was well, hard. Well, I mean, work. being I over mean, there, that's yeah. What I'm talking about. Yeah. But, and and then like differentiating between Konami reprints, these are almost equatable, right? I mean, these things are. It's extremely hard to do this. Right? Yeah. Like it really is hard to do this. 
And when the data doesn't exist, you're kind of fucked. You have to. Do, I am doing the work. I'm building the wheel. Like, yep. I have to do it, like because PSA is creating um, labels for cards that don't accurately represent. Yep. The, and that was a, that's a huge thing for card. me. It's a huge thing for me is the label correctly identifying the card. People are mad about it, and yep. and you know it, it's. I'm torn because you know one. This is Konami's fault, right? I mean, this is not PSA's fault. You know, yeah. they didn't make the card this way. Yeah. Um, and it is extremely hard to tell the difference. I mean, and me telling a guy at PSA who doesn't know about Yu-Gi-Oh, like this is the reason why PSA hires experts because these guys who grade stuff, like, yes, they are experts and yes, they are graders, but, you know, do these guys know the very minute difference between the text on a 2002 and a 2017, right? That's my job. If you're mad about it, I think that that's important. Like I'm working on it. Right. Like I wouldn't, I, you know, like there's, when you go to hire somebody to be a consultant for your company, I think, you know, the knowledge base shouldn't be because purely of an education standpoint, I think it should be from a passion standpoint and you're very passionate about Yu-Gi-Oh! And I think that's, that shows in, in, in terms of your ability to, to gather information for a company. And that's, that's extremely, extremely important to differentiate those two and it, it it shows somebody who's in it because of the love and the knowledge you know that's coming from out of love is going to be more genuine and nine times out of ten more accurate than somebody who's doing it from a pure education or pure monetary financial gain yeah. standpoint you know what i'm saying and so yeah let me tell you i mean you know psa expects huge. me to tell them what they need to focus on in some form or another right you that's know so huge. when i go to psa and i say look look there are these reprints and this is going to cause a problem. Yep. And they're like, okay, we want to invest time into this because PSA pays me to do this. Right. So it's not because, you know, I did this PSA is making the effort to understand the market in a better way. Right. You know, so kudos to them because, you know, I'm not aware of BGS doing this and I'm not aware of CGC grading anything Yu-Gi-Oh at all. And that's not to disparage those companies, but right. The expertise required to do this is, is, I mean, it's another level. You can't hire a guy and he'll be like, oh, you know what? Yeah, you can't get Joe Schmo like, off the street and have it do that. Yeah, no. no. It's no, not, like, you know, not, we're not, not we're not putting CD cases together. You know, it's not, it, it, it may feel like a factory job, but it's not a factory job. And I think that no. also, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to expect people to grade things at the best of their ability, you also have to pay them to the best of your ability. And a lot of underpaid people that feel they're underpaid are always, always going to do a worse job than somebody who's feeling appreciated by the company. And so for, you know, to, to be able to go over to BGS and not have that same ability, I think is huge for PSA and probably the best move that they can make for a hobby to to be able to you know gather the market into your hands because that's what these grading companies want right they want everybody coming to them for their grading services and now that there's another third big player trying to be into it it's even harder to keep those into your hands and something like that blastoise could have been psas or bgs's but they don't have the expertise in the consulting to to differentiate what's going on in that market and how those cards can affect it right i mean well let me tell you like my goal always is you know conceptually to bring 
the business and the and the community to the table to agree yep. on what's right moving forward. Exactly. And, and when they do agree, that's that's the best uh, that's the best end result, right? Is when you can get the hobby to say this is what we want, and the business to say this is what we want to do. Yep. Right. And that doesn't always happen. And, Do- and it doesn't. Number, and I think that reasons. your position but, is allowing that to happen. So that's important. That's that's yeah, amazing. I, Absolutely. For me right now, or for whoever sits in, you know, where I sit now yeah. later on, I mean, because there, this is not infinite. I can't do this forever, but I know um, I feel that totally. Yeah. But have they know, ever offered you the, to go move out there? Big deal. Yeah. But I mean, there's a whole reason why I can't do that. Like I have a whole career with the, um, with the U S government. Right. And right. And that's my retirement not package with the U S government is like, huge. I'm beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, they, I feel that. I feel there's that. no private company that can match the retirement package. That I mean, Damn. imagine in 20 years you make 50 percent of your highest pay for the rest of your life. Yeah, and you don't work. That's who's going to match that? Not n- nobody. Nobody. The answer is nobody. Yeah, that's crazy. Right? So you know, I mean, I don't mind doing the work. Like I love working for PSA. I really do, and they yeah. are extremely open-minded about a lot of the stuff that you know i bring to the table but you know again it's you know getting the collector community and the business to sit down at the table and agree and at the end of the day you know i got to respect psa's decision right because they're they're a business right and they have liability and they have underwriting and they have employees and they have you know uh stakeholders yeah and and, you know especially yeah yeah that's a big deal yeah. They, they have a, an image and uh, to represent and stuff like that. And so, you know, it's important for me to not only take the collecting community's opinion into consideration, yeah. but to understand PSA's perspective on it as well. And that's, you know, the goal is to, you know, cause you have in, in business and in negotiating, you have a ZOPA, a zone of possible agreement. And, yeah. you know, sometimes it's not possible to get the two parties into that zone because it's too narrow. Right. Sometimes it's wide. Sometimes it's not. Yeah. Yeah. So. What do you think about uh, Nat Turner joining and buying everything up? I mean, it's so big PSA that it doesn't affect me at all. I mean, yeah, yeah. And I prefer. Do you it that think way. You know, that, that that move is good for the the hobby and the businesses in general? Because uh, I've heard a lot of good things about Nat Turner and how he's a very passionate collector of sports, and he's been a collector of sports. He owns some of the most expensive cards in the world, and so it would be. I mean, am I, I'm not, you know, this is why I'm asking you. I don't know if you know anything about I Nat Turner. Know. I, mean, I don't know. I don't see a lot of that stuff and on my end. I'm a, I'm a it's, uh, it's not just Nat Turner, okay? So he runs the yeah. group of investors that yeah. that bought it, okay? So it, it was more yeah. than one person who bought it. Yeah, yeah, um, sure. yeah. But Nat, they're making that's Nat Turner the face. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and they're making Nat Turner the face of it. So I think that that's... Yeah. That's that's good in terms of that and like anything I've heard about him has been hugely positive in terms of like the collector side of it, uh, meaning that like he's probably more supportive of the collector than any other uh, uh, company grading you know service owner. And there's going to be I think the thing that PSA is the most well I'll say the thing that I. I know that PSA is concerned with turnaround time. Right. Um, and I'm not speaking for PSA, you know, here at all. I'm right. just providing an opinion on what I do with PSA and how I understand it as a, as a guy on the outside coming inside once in a while. Right. right. Cause that's really what a contractor is, right? Like I work on the outside, you know, and then I come in, you know, and once in a while I see the inside of PSA, I get the emails, I get, you know, I talk yep. to people at PSA and different exactly. Stuff. So, 
you know, is it good? Is it not that Matt Turner owns it? I don't know. I mean, I'm not an employee. I'm not on the board. I don't sit on any of the meetings. Right, right. You know, I don't know him personally, and I don't know, you know, what changes have been made to PSA. I know that PSA is concerned about turnaround times, and they're trying to fix it um, because, and I know that they're concerned with, you know, cards getting damaged in their cases and things like that too. Yeah. You know, but uh, the the problem, you know, I empathize with collectors, but I don't because you know the same guys who complain about turnaround times want the cheapest bulk prices ever and sub 10,000 cards a week. How do you, how do you reconcile that? Right. So yeah, yeah you're concerned about turnaround times, but you're also subbing a hundred thousand cards and you're arguing that the prices aren't, are too expensive. Yeah. Those, those things are not reconcilable, right? You want to pay less, but you want less, you want more service. Yeah. And it's, I get it, but you know, at a certain point, and I mean, like, I don't, uh, to me, to me, for? I get that, you know, that person may be like a big customer and everything and you want to please everybody. But at the same time, you know, like fundamentally what PSA does or any grading service does is guarantees the value of that collectible. Okay. And the service. Well, yeah, yeah it, that's what the service is meant for. Okay. And yeah. so if people don't believe in PSA, they don't believe in their slabs. And for people to, to for PSA to, to, to keep that credibility, they have to, they have to put their foot down in some way or another and say, you're going to pay us because we're making added value. Yeah. You're guaranteeing the value in your damn product, you know? We, and we, Yes, we. I mean, are a right now, right now, I'll I'll pull out an example. You know, we'll pull. You don't really know this guy, Rui Hachimura. Um, right now, I don't like it's it's a it's a raw card, but it's encased. Um, it's selling for like you know two thousand dollars. That's an amazing price, an amazing price. Yep. And, but that's raw. There's 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 PSA tens of this card that are selling for five six thousand dollars. Yep. And so I think right there you owe PSA some money. Like, yeah, they just damn near doubled the value in the thousands of your card just by putting their name on it. Boom. You know. And if you're gonna be stingy and not want to pay them. I just, I don't, I like you, I do not have any sympathy towards that at all. No, no, none at all. Dude. At all. Yeah. The argument needs to be logical, right? Yeah, so exactly. I'll, I'll touch on something that's kind of related to this and that's, you know, PSA upcharges. Yeah. So I know that this is a point of contention and I will tell you, you know, I don't, I, you know what I would, uh, you know, and I my, am the source of all the Yu-Gi-Oh upcharges. Yes. I'm sorry. <laughs> you can blame me. Well, well in, in one form or at another. The same right? time, at the PSA. same time, like I, I expect uh, as a grading company, I would expect my customers to know what they're sending to me. Right. I would expect them to know that this card is going to grade this certain price, at least into some range ability to gauge what that card's going to be worth after I grade it for you. So even, even submitted at the you correct expect service. Collectors to understand that when their card goes up in value, that the insurance on the back end has to match the underwriting that PSA has. Exactly, and that's so the that's the biggest thing. Tells you, hey, you've got a five thousand dollar card, but you subbed it at the two hundred dollar level. We need to upcharge you so that we can insure your card properly on the way back to you. And not not only that, that, not only that. I, I, People want to pay less for the service of the card, but they want to be able to take their service time down with that. And I just, it just blows my mind. You, 
you're 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 paying a company to do something for you, but you want to pay less, have it faster, and have it better. And you can't well, you can't have your cake and eat it too at this point. You, you can't know? you can't have the cake after you ate it. No. Yeah, exactly. You can't do it. It's not possible, right? So you know the the problem I see with the upcharges, people are like, well. Am I going to get upcharged if I send this in bulk and, and you know, it grades at 10? Like, I, I don't, don't feel bad for people like, like that. Send it, send it, send it in bulk if, if that's what you want. I'm not encouraging people to lie about the value of their cards. If you and I don't, I don't think – send it in an right. on grading. But if you send it in bulk and they come back to you and they say, look, your card graded at 10 and we estimate it's worth this much value and we're going to upcharge you for it. Yeah, look, you're winning. You're winning you no won. matter what. You did good, right? Yeah. You made money, right? Yeah. You did good. Right? And it, and Why it, are you mad? Well, and, and you know, and it bothers me too because like I would rather I would rather just sub it at the better service level and not have to worry about the upcharge, right? Because I'm gonna get upcharged anyway. I think right now PSA has gotten to a point where they know they got the they got the the graders in there. They know that this card is not gonna be in the two hundred dollar limit that PSA has, so you're gonna get upcharged for it by putting it into your bulk. And you're still going to have to wait the six months to fucking get it back. So why not just sub it at an express level where you're going to be upcharged to anyways and have that better turnaround time. And that's where I really, I don't feel bad at all for people who are, who are uh, mad about having to pay that. And it's like, dude, $75 a card to take your card from, you know, a hundred, $200 card to a thousand to $10,000 card. You're going to really be upset about that. Like, come on. Some of these things are not always black and white. Right. So, I mean, you know, one of the things is like yes. if you send in like let's just say a barrel dragon, right, from Metal Raiders, and it's a first edition, right? You pulled it out of a pack, let's say. But you know, pack fresh cards could be eight, nine, ten. They could be less than that too. Pack fresh doesn't mean anything. I, right. I hope you're listening, sellers. Pack fresh <laughs> doesn't mean anything, right? It, it, it's not a condition. Yes. Right. It's like a state of existence, right? Yes. Yes. I just pulled this out of, out of a pack. Yeah. Right. So um, the. Um, the card, right, could could value from one hundred fifty dollars to you know thirty five hundred dollars, right? So do you send it express? Do you send it bulk? If you're not sure, send it bulk, right? And and if it upgrades to a ten, you're done. But if you, you think the card can get a ten and it's gonna and you're gonna try and sell it for thirty five hundred dollars, you got you need to express the card, yeah. right? So it's relative, but you got to use your head. Like there's thing, there's a thing in here, right? And you 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 need to use it. In conjunction with some study to figure out like what your card is worth, yep. if you, unless you just want to collect it, if you want to sell it, you ought to know what your card is worth yep. on the back end when you grade it, right? So should it be expressed? Should it be both? Right? The answer it depends. It just depends. There's no answer. Right? Yeah, it's, it's relative to the card and the condition. And I mean, card. you know, uh, it, 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 you 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 see. You see big boy cards do that, you know, and it's, it's almost ignoramus, you know, it's like, come on, you know, this card is worth a shit ton of money. Why are you trying to put it, you know, and I, I don't know if this is true. I don't know if this is true. I have seen it. I I don't know if this is true either, but like, I feel, you know, that PSA is going to take the fucking rookie grader and stick it on the bulk submissions. And he's going to take my veteran best grader and you're going to be on the highest echelon uh, walkthrough service levels, you know, 100% of the time. Presuming that that's true. Presuming that that's true, why would you want a car that's potentially worth a lot of money tried to sneak right past uh, 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 a, a, a novice grader? Like yeah, why? I don't know. I, I presume that's true. 
Um, I, I've never been there. I was going to actually go to PSA's facility mm-hmm. in June this this last year, but obviously, you know, that didn't work out <laughs> for, right. for, for one reason, yeah. um, you know, but uh, um, I it's also the reason the- why everybody's collections worth a lot more now. <laughs> ostensibly right i mean at least that's what some people say <laughs> i'll say maybe maybe not you know but i, I think that you know it, it's just like a, a, a lot of this stuff is relative and so people are like you know i, I get all those things. yeah 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 i agree with you man you know i, I agree with that so yep. what else everybody who's listening YouTube? stop being a cheap ass and just pay the damn grading fee <laughs> yeah i mean you know and i understand that like some people you know don't have the type of money to be able to do that with. And they're trying to, you know, um, gain some sort of sentimental value maybe, and they don't want to pay that much out of pocket. But at the same time, you know, there's, there's other stuff that you have to take into uh, consideration before COVID the bulk turnaround time was still very terrible. They did not go like I I know a few people, they're like, we have contracts with PSA. We guarantee turnaround times of 45 oh, yeah. days for bulk yeah. and all this bullshit. Oh, oh, yeah. But it was three, four months, okay, cuz? And I'm not here to say put anybody under the bus, but PSA is PSA and you are you, okay? So just do what you think is best. But don't be cheap on the back end. Just pay PSA what they're worth. I mean, they're making whether it's sentimental or not. They're make they're guaranteeing the value of your th- of your items. Like that's huge. Yeah. And PSA is not just uh, an authenticator of cards. They're also DNA, which is the authenticator of autographs, which is also one of the biggest markets on the planet. Uh, autographed, you know, items are huge, huge. The uh, yeah. there was um, which was really crazy. Uh, before we get anywhere else, um, there was an auction on, I think it was, no, it was comic, comic now or something, comic connect now. Um, they had the actual vinyl record that the assassin got signed, the copy that he got signed by John Lennon, the, the man who murdered him outside of his home, uh, a few hours before that got the grotesque. Yeah, it, I mean it is, but it was signed by John. It was signed by John Lennon. Is the word I think. It was signed by John Lennon, and that vinyl record at the time was worth ten to twenty dollars. Um, yeah. you know, and the signature he gave away for free. This thing sold because it was a pro- pro- very prolific signature at that time as well. It's way more than any of his other signatures, but yeah. it sold for an astronomical over five hundred thousand dollars like what the fuck right and then it's the the condition of it was absolutely terrible absolutely it was wrecked but it's the only one in the world and And, it was signed it's got providence and it was signed providence if it wasn't signed i would it's i would say it wouldn't even go near as that much you know what i'm saying like it wouldn't even go near as but because it was signed it was it was that prolific yeah uh, signatures uh, and autographs, I think, you know, that's why I keep posting on my Instagram. It's the year of the autograph because I right now I want it to be recognized. I, and you know, that's what sucks about Yu-Gi-Oh! is because they don't actually are like, they're not displaying their artists and putting their artists on the front line like Magic the no, Gathering and not. like Pokemon is. I don't think right? they do. You know, and, and it's interesting because that kind of culture isn't really like Vogue in Yu-Gi-Oh! per se. You yeah, know? it's I really weird. People do have some signature pieces from like voice actors and stuff, but like 
the collector base for stuff like that is just so astronomically small that like when people DM me, they're like, what is this signature thing worth? And I'm like, you know, what's the near mint worth? Like add like 20% to it. Yeah. Because there's no real market for it. Because, yeah, they don't yeah. have illustration by or whatever, I don't yeah. think. No. Well, like so, on a Yu-Gi-Oh card, we can like see right here. I mean, this one, it doesn't even say. It says copyright 2020 studio dice yeah. Shuisha TV Tokyo, like Konami. Yeah. You know, that doesn't that, – there's no artist name on here. I can't tell who, who illustrated this, you know, so – if anybody, right? If anybody, if, you if, know, if it was one person, or it if it was just thirty a, people, it could have just been the art, or the board. or the artboard in in Konami themselves. You know, that put it together. I'm well, sure Konami, they have a bunch again, of you know, in-house like, artists that they pay, you know, a salary, and they never put their name on the products. A lot, no, a lot of Pokemon, they're not paid salary. The same art. How many Pokemon cards use the same exact art? Also very true. Also very true. Yu-Gi-Oh has used the same all, art all yeah. the time. Right. I mean, there's very little. I mean, when there's an alt art, like there's literally a name for it, an alt art card. When all art cards are produced in Yu-Gi-Oh, it's a big deal because, you know, you're used to the same art with a different rarity or a different form yeah. or from a different set or something like that. And so when you see Legend of Blue Eyes, you know, the art like you can collect. There's five different Blue Eyes cards in 2002. Five. There's Shonen Jump, the JMP. Yep. One. Yep. With there's the tombs behind it. Yep. Zero, zero, one. There's SDK001, there's BPT003, and there's um, um, DDS001. DDS, I don't know that one. Dark Duel Story. Okay, uh, yeah. I don't know it. Yep. Yeah, and and the the three big ones are LOB, SDK, DDS. Those are the big three. And then there's BPT underneath that. And it's crazy to see, you know, like... uh, like you would think one would think that like dark magician would be like number two, but it's not, it's not number two by like it, a lot. It's not solid. Right. I mean, it's definitely top five material. Yeah. But, but it's not number you know, two. Sometimes people like red eyes, like people seem to think that like the aesthetics of wavy red eyes is like a better aesthetic than, you know, dark magician. Although yeah, I agree, yeah. I think the aesthetic on the dark magician um, is much better than red eyes, but it depends like, because dark magician isn't a dragon. Dragons yeah. are cool, man. Yeah. You know yeah. what I'm saying? True. Like, Very true. Nothing, nothing, and, uh, I would just say that it up. would be, it would be if, you know, the same popularity because of the anime and Yugi Moro or Yugi Moto being Yugi, the, the owner of the, the dark magician. So typical. Yes. When people think Yugi, they think dark magician. Yep. And so I think there's, you know, so, um, it's really interesting to see that, you know, the most popular Pokemon is Charizard followed by the Pikachu, which makes sense. It really makes sense. But the most yeah. popular Yu-Gi-Oh card is the Blue-Eyes White Dragon followed by not the Dark Magician. Followed by, it's up, <laughs> it's up for debate, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, some people like Metal Raiders. You yeah. know, more than Legend of Blue-Eyes. And there, there's a reason for that, you know. there's it, Metal Raiders, in there, like, Metal Raiders had uh, Summon Skull in it, right? Summon Skull, yep. Barrel Dragon, Summon Fear Skull was Force, a huge card Solemn as a kid. Judgment, I remember. Change of Heart, right? Yep. Of change of Heart. Time Wizard. Yep. Thousand enemy Dragon, Controller. I had, a, I had a I had a play set of Enemy Controllers. I love that card so much. Enemy Controller, Ancient Sanctuary. Like, yeah. there's so many. I had all the Gravekeepers, Gravekeepers Guard, um, Gravekeeper cards, and Moronic yeah. Guardian. Like an entire archetype, yep. right? Playable archetype exists in Pharaonic Guardian. I mean, warrior cards like, you know, uh, Freed, 
yep. rotting captain, yep. you know, all of those cards, fiends, necrofear, yep. right? That's a great card. Yada. I mean, and, and even, you know, the pretty cards, right? The pretty yeah. cards, cards that, you know. And that's what that I liked has, about the secret rares is that they completely changed the foil pattern. And that, oh, fuck, man, that amazed yeah. me as a kid. I was like, damn. I really yeah. liked it. I wish they would have kept it. Like, the ghost rare is, like, the second best, like, foil pattern I've ever seen Konami make. Like, when I saw these ghost rares for the first time, I was like, yeah. wow, that's actually slick. Because you're only seeing the picture if you turn it a certain way. Like, that's... Yeah, that's pretty, they're, pretty in cool. Japanese, they're considered the, a holographic rare. A holographic rare? Crazy. Yeah, or I think that's what they are, like a holographic rare yeah, yeah, yeah. or something like that. Because in, in the TCG, it's considered a ghost rare. Right, in right. In the OCG, it's right. considered a holographic rare. And, you know, there's there's a world of difference between the OCG and the TCG. It's something that a lot of people don't understand when they come into Yu-Gi-Oh! is that, you know, there are two different types of tournaments. Right. There's the trading card game, which is English and a lot of the other foreign languages in Europe and stuff like right. that. And then there's the official card game, which is the stuff that is in Jap- Japan and that's um, crazy. Southeast Asia. And they don't you know, do, do they don't do any world tournaments or nothing like that? Like Pokemon does? They do. Yeah. So world um, is is uh, I think all of the prizes in worlds are um, some of them. Man, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a little out of my depth. Here. I have, I have a whole no, group of like Yu-Gi-Oh enthusiasts with their pitchforks ready for you, bud. So you better get this right. No, I'm ready. Yeah, I'm ready for it. I'm ready to get told I'm wrong, and I'm willing to be wrong. But you know, a lot of the um, world's tournaments, the participation cards are considered Asian English. Yeah. Uh, but the championship prizes, in some cases, are English, um, limited to two and limited to six. Right. So the World Championship cards in Yu-Gi-Oh! started in 2003. This was the first World Championship Series, WCS. WCS is not a part of the Shonen Jump Championship. So these are two separate tournaments. Really? So WCS is its own tournament, right? So WCS starts in 2003 and is parallel to the Shonen Jump Championships, which start in 2004 right. with Cyberstein as the prize card. Everybody knows Cyberstein. Cyberstein yeah. is the Shonen Jump SJC EN001 Cyberstein. Yep. It was a prize card and given out as well at Upper Deck Day. So it's not just the prize card. It is a prize card. The prizes are in Lucite. Those are the prize cards. Right. Right. The others are not prize cards, right? They're given out at Upper Deck Day. They're promotional cards. They are rare. I'm not saying that they're not rare, but they're not necessarily like the prizes themselves, right? right. So the prizes are in the Lucite Right, so, right. Um, um, so there are some that are sealed and stuff like that. Uh, but Shonen Jump, SJCS, and SJC is not the same as WCS. They're still, you know, both co-equal prizes and championships. But WCS has a much rarer card type than um, – so 2003 is the first year. Those 2003 prizes have not been seen since they were given out. We don't even know if they exist or how many were made. We have no idea. That's crazy. They could, like, not exist. So all we and know is that none graded you know, at all. None, and if they exist, they may be in Lucite. I mean, they, they're case. They should be case. Right. Um, there's Black Luster Soldier and Victory Dragon. I think are the two ultra rares, or not. We don't. We're not really sure yeah. if they're ultra rares or super rares. The the wiki is say super rare, but That's you know crazy. some people think that they're ultra rare because every prize card should be ultra rare. Right. So right. until you get to like 2016 and later, or, or 2013 and later, when they become extra secret rares, um, but. You know, these ultra rares haven't been seen 
since 2003. There's no pictures of them, so we have no idea what they look like or That's if they insane. exist at all. So uh, in 2004, um, they gave out Ulevo, which is two, limited to two in the world. So every 001 WCS is limited to two because there's two tournaments. Right? Crazy. There's the Dragon Duel, the Young Kids Tournament, and then there's the Championship. So there's two. Right. And then the um, for the prize card winners, for the winners themselves. So two winners, right. two prizes. Right. And yeah. then the uh, other one, Mateo the Matchless, the 2004 prize card, there's six. Okay. Second, third, fourth times two tournaments. Right. Six. Right. Right. So okay, that makes Mateo, sense. It's the same thing. The matchless Pokemon we've seen. Right. What's that? It's the same thing as Pokemon. Um, except they make uh, they have three per tournament because it's uh, uh, kids, juniors, and masters. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and later on, Yu-Gi-Oh has three because there's the remote duel. Um. There are the dual links. Then there's the right. uh, dragon, the kids, and then there's the championships of three. Right, right. Um, but all of these prize cards, I mean, and there are some that are not prizes. Again, like SJCS, like there are some uh, singles that are not encased in Lucite or in a, a official case, right. and those are not prizes, but they're still, you know, prize cards, right, necessarily right. speaking. So. You know, you could grade them, and there are ultra rares that exist that are graded, but the ultra rares are the prizes, and the super rares are the attendance cards. And so, you know, what you'll see is later on in WCS and WCPS is that the super rares themselves are some of the are reprints or uh, replicas, is what it says. Right. Uh, so you'll see like the um, the blue eyes white dragon uh, replica. I think it's called. Uh, I, I forget the name exactly uh, off the top of my head right now. Immediately. Damn! Tons of light in here. Yeah, yeah I think you're. I think. Uh, I think your blinds are telling us that we've been on the call for a while. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the so, sun's anyways, literally changing angle. <laughs> the the super rares, right? People DM me, they're like, "Oh, I picked up this prize card, but it's yeah. a super rare." Prize cards are not super rares. Yeah. Uh, prize cards are ultra rares or extra secret rares. And so, you know, if you have a super rare, it's an attendance card. Yeah. If you have an ultra rare, it's the prize. That card. just means you were there. Big difference. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, or you participated, right? You know, right, right. participation cards or whatever you want to call oh, it. Oh, okay. I don't okay. know that it's an attendance card, but right, you know, if right. you were in the tournament, you you got a, a um, you know a sealed super rare version, right. and the zero zero ones are reprinted. So you know, legendary dragon of white is the ultra rare. I remembered it, so don't mm. don't crucify me on this. Yu Gi Oh collectors listening to this podcast, you know, legendary dragon of white comes as a ultra rare prize card, but later the next year it comes as a super rare. Participation card. Crazy. Worlds yeah. of different. Yeah. Worlds. That is crazy. So. Wow. This Pokemon knowledge is, is a lot. It's a lot. Uh, Pokemon, I feel like... Or not Pokemon. Yu-Gi-Oh! is so much more data-heavy than Pokemon. I feel like there's a lot more data to go through. Um, and yeah. there's a lot more... Um, a lot more back-end work involved with uh, this hobby. There, there can sure. be, man. I mean, if, if you can't find, like, a guy like me or, you know, something like that, yeah. you know, it's challenging to find this information on the internet. Right, right. It yeah. It, or impossible. There, is, there, is there any – do you know what E4 is? Um, yes, I do. And do you, yes, Is there anything like that for Yu-Gi-Oh? <sighs> Not really. I mean – 
it's not the same, right? We're working on something yeah. like it, but it's not going to be like E4. I mean, there are some pro boards. I mean, there's Pojo. Yeah. There's um, the Wikias. Um, even E4 has a bunch of Yu-Gi-Oh stuff in it. Um, and I know that, um, you know, um, there are a lot of really smart dudes that have posted stuff on uh, E4 for the collectors that are not as, you know, knowledgeable as them, right. which is helpful. And I've leveraged some of that too. Um, cause it really is good information to have. Um, but they're really not that I know of. I mean, again, I'm willing to be wrong, but you know, a lot of guys come to me and they're like, man, you know, you know so much, like, you know, why isn't this stuff available? Right. Working on it. Yeah, definitely. We just need a, a, a memory ray gun and we'll just pull that information from your brain. Well, that's the problem is a lot Put of it it on paper. In people's heads, yeah. you know, and we so you don't really get paper. the information until you start pick, until you start picking people's brains. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, to figure out, you know, you know, because even the wikias are wrong. You know, right. if you look at the first national tournament on the wikia, it tells you that there's one of each prize card, yeah. but there's not. There's one black luster soldier, but there's two second place, three third place, right. four for fourth place, yeah. right? And these were the first prize cards ever given out in 1999, and. The information that you would find on the wiki would have you believe that there's one of each. But the first place guy got all four cards. The second place guy got the top three. You know right, what I mean? Like right. so yeah. the bottom okay. three. And the, yeah, so there that are four, a fourth place, three third place, two second place, one first place. Yeah. But you would never crazy. know that. Yeah. If you looked at the wiki. That's crazy. Yeah. The don't cards in the don't world. pay attention to the wiki. <laughs> I mean, it's a reference, right? So it's not. That Go you follow Gezi right? TCG, okay? He's the actual encyclopedia. But, but just remember that you know not everything that you read on the wiki is guaranteed to be true. Right, and I think and that's just like, with everything, with everything, not just with uh, right. uh, Yu-Gi-Oh. That's why you know when I was sure, in college, months, they and high school, they all told me like Wikipedia is not. <laughs> it's not the one. It's not the one. The I mean, you use it, reference out. it, but don't don't be taking copyright out of that shit and put it in my. On your reports, yeah. but because you're gonna laugh. Wikius first came out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's. Um, so, I think it was mostly because of the accessibility to uh, completely rewrite a page, and people, yeah, you, you know, can. in the beginning were afraid of that. But I mean, now there's literally teams and teams that are up twenty four seven a day, and they're monitoring every single page that gets edited, and every time one gets edited in the wrong yeah. way, it's immediately corrected, and so doesn't really you know matter i want to touch on one thing um before we go before before we go right right? because i know we're probably coming up on time here (laughs) Um, you know people people talk to me about you know Yu-Gi-Oh, and they're like what's the next illustrator pikachu and my answer is always like it's not the same right but there is some you know there are some rarities though. If you're if people, people are looking for rarities. There is rarity in Yu-Gi-Oh and a ton of it and a ton of depth to find. So, yep. you know, the T3 Asian championship prize cards from 2001, this was the last tournament before WCS started. Yep. Um, and these cards are one of one, all of them. They're all one of one. There's rumors that um, others exist, but you know, I, I've never Haven't seen been it. proven. Yeah. So there's one of each, right? There's, five of them there's a blue eyes ultimate dragon there's a red eyes black dragon there's a angry karibo a summon skull and uh gemini elf um 
Gemini Elf. I can get behind that. Yeah, and and it's actually a really cool art that's never been reprinted. All of these arts have never been reprinted. Good. Um, So there is no replica of them in any, either the Japanese OCG or in the trading card game. Right. And these cards are all true one of ones. So the summon skull, right? I'm going to put some lore on here, is alleged to have been lost in the tsunami. In, in 2008, 2004, yeah. or whatever. No, no, no. Uh, are you talking about the? Are you talking about the tsunami in Japan? Um, there was yeah. one in 2011. That was major. Yeah. Yeah. Alleged to? I don't know. I don't know which tsunami it was, but it's alleged mm. to have been. Lost That's just the one I know. That's just the one I know of. Yeah. I don't. I, and so there are all of them have popped up recently. I've seen you know pictures of people who who own them. Um, the Karibo, the Red Eyes, the Gemini Elf, the uh, Blue Eyes Ultimate Dragon. I have never seen the Summon Skull. So I believe that it actually is lost. Crazy. It's gone. Can't even get it. It's And that's what I, I – I, there's there's a lot of history behind a lot of these collectibles that I think is extremely important. And one day we're going to see this shit in the Smithsonian Museums, you know. Last sealed <laughs> yeah. fucking Legend of Blue Eyes box – on the planet sealed last first edition base set booster box on the planet sealed you know if you ever go to japan there is a um wall of Yu-Gi-Oh cards so every card that i say is like a one of one it's actually not a one of one konami has a copy of every card, card ever made on that wall that was ever made right yeah so you know that's it's like it's like secured in the wall right like you're, yes. There's no yes. way you're getting it out of there in one piece. Yeah. No way. <laughs> so, but but if you do go, you know that those cards are. I want to know. You know um, and I'm going to have to get that information. So when I go to Japan, I'm gonna. I want to go visit. It seems fucking dope. It's pretty cool. I imagine. I've never been there. I've seen pictures of it, and yeah. it it's real. There, all the cards are there. That's crazy. That's got to be, you know, that's got to be really cool, especially as a company who manufactured it. You know, it's not just like somebody who went off and did it on their own, you know, as some kind of art piece or something. This is produced by the company. And I think that that's special to show, you know. I think they're all period, too. I think they're all period productions. You know what I mean? So, like, when all of those cards were made when the others were made. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then it's, yeah, right. That would be that would be even more crazy to see. And I, I've always wanted, I just saw recently like footage of, of Watsi, uh, like they were just like doing shit and like going, I was like, wow, this is really crazy. So I would, I would love to see a Konami factory or, you know, a Konami production yeah. house, like going through a lot of that stuff. And I think that, I don't know, there's a lot of cool things that won't, Definitely. won't ever be seen because there wasn't cameras as prolific as they are now. You know what I'm saying? Like, no. Every every Watsi employee didn't have a fucking cell phone with a camera on it, you know, and so there wasn't because the card games are old enough to to have gone into that point. People were still using that Nokia brick. Yeah, yeah, exactly. With the green screen. Yep. Yep. (laughs) I remember playing Snake, playing Snake on the off time. Yep, on the off time. Yep. Yep. Playing Snake, buddy. That was a big thing, man. Yep, I remember that too. I remember that too. Well, shit, yeah. man. It's been great talking to you. Thank you, Gezi, for coming on to the show. You know, we really appreciate that, your knowledge, man. And that's Dude, that's important. Education is, like, 100% important to me. And in, and for any hobby, it's the number one in terms of um, growth ability, you know? And yes. um, I think yeah. that that's important to keep. The biggest thing, keep. like, 
steward your profession. Right? Yep. No be matter a, what it is. Be a contributor. Yep. Give exactly. Back. Yep. And I think that that's important. Totally. So thank you for coming on to the show and really dropping a lot of knowledge onto us because, you know, people are going to have almost two hours now to, to, to do that. So thank <laughs> you, man. Um, yeah. Thank you for joining. And we're going to have to have you on the show in the future, man. I really appreciate you. Dude, thank you for giving me a venue. I really appreciate it. Honestly, I, I I hope one day that these podcasts become to a point where you know it's a lot of people are watching this, and so this information and this education yes. can be available to a lot more people once you know this takes off. And so I really appreciate you you being you know in the beginning and on that uphill battle, right? So you're you're no, awesome no, for that. No problem, man. Thank you, Gazi. No, thanks for having me, man. No problem. And that was Gezi TCG from Instagram. Go give him a follow. An extremely, extremely well-versed Yu-Gi-Oh! expert and poke, or PSA consultant. He is huge in a lot of different areas. If you guys are ever looking for any knowledge at all, do not be afraid to message him. He is not too big for anybody. And that's what's important in this world. So you guys have a good night. Make sure you like and subscribe. Thank you.